Hello and welcome to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Dan. And I'm Sarah. We're a movie show that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is criminals. Like all good podcasts, this show contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the movie we're covering. So today we're discussing American Animals, 2018, continuing yep. our season of crime. Mm-hmm. And this one is based on a bizarre real life <laughs> heist yeah. that happened in December of 2004. I've only just realized that we somehow got a true crime film in season one and in season two. True crime? Yeah. What was a true crime in Fruit season Bell one? Station. Of course. And I also think it's really interesting that we've gone straight from Thief which mm. was populated entirely by true professionals yeah. <laughs> to absolute bumbling idiots who couldn't pull off a heist if they tried. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it came out in 2018. It was directed by Bart Layton, mm-hmm. who had directed a documentary called The Imposter, which I believe you've seen. I have, yeah. Any good? I think it's really good, yeah. I, I scanned over the director's CV and basically he seems more involved in the documentary side of things than fiction yeah and that's kind of interesting because this is a meeting of the two Mm. would you call it docudrama i guess i was trying to think of this when i was writing my notes and i couldn't come up with something so i just wrote documentary slash drama (laughs) docudrama there you go so yeah i guess so (laughs) you shortened it for me because i've saved so much time by not saying that extra bit of wording Mm -hmm. think of all the things you could do well, if I did that with every wording that I say, I think I could probably save a week total. In your whole life. In my whole life. Yeah. I mean, you already take words, uh, take letters out of words in the shopping list. So why not just True. apply that to everything else? True. Um, Make everything illegible. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, The Imposter is really good, actually. Okay. I don't know how much you know about that story, but it was partly the inspiration for the Julia de Cornell French movie Titan. Oh, was it? Which you hated. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm familiar with the concept of a documentary yeah. and I hadn't considered it until, mm-hmm. I'm sure you told me at the time when we were watching Titan, yeah. but I've slept since then. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really well-made documentary, so I would definitely recommend that as well. Okay. Yeah. So Evan Peters as Warren Lipka, Barry Keoghan. Keoghan, yeah. Question mark? No, that's, well, I looked it up. That is apparently the correct way to pronounce it. Well, we'll go with that then. Yeah. He plays Spencer Reinhardt. Blake Jenner plays Chaz Allen. Mm-hmm. And Jared Abramson as Eric Borsuk. And Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd. Don't forget Anne Dowd. Betty Jean Gooch and Udo Kier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in one scene. Yeah. Decent cast. Yeah. So the director, Bart Layton, had read an article on a flight. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it just opened up communication with these guys that were in prison for carrying out this heist. Oh, so he... When, did, when were they released from prison? Um, <laughs> now you're this, asking me questions. I don't know the, the heist answer to that. Kind of, I, I don't want to say the heist happened because it didn't really. The heist was attempted in mm. 2004. It did happen. Well, it did and it didn't. They robbed some stuff. <laughs> it was partly successful. I'm not saying it was but a successful mostly a clusterfuck. Heist, but it was a heist and they did heist some things. All right, okay. Semantics. But we'll get to it. <laughs> Yeah, so he basically read this article. I don't know if it was the same article I had read Mm -hmm. and a lot of other sources 
source this uh, cite this article as well by John Falk, who wrote it in I think tw- it came out in 2015 on Vanity okay. Fair, and um, it could have been that one, but he certainly read an article on a flight and was like, "This is a great story. I need to get in touch with these boys." Yeah, this sounds like a project that was kind of near and dear to him. Then I guess so, because I think that's the problem with a lot of true crime content, isn't it? There seems to be like a sensationalist angle, like mm. an attempt to take advantage of the subjects or the subject matter and I don't know I didn't get that here there was no like salaciousness it was very funny but I think the presence of the people who were involved kind of changed the um perspective a little bit yeah definitely they could have just done a run of the mill or not run of the mill because it's such an interesting story yeah nothing nothing about this is run of the mill (laughs) no they could have made a more traditional dramatization of it but I think the fact that he included interviews with the guys, mm-hmm. which was cut together in scenes quite cleverly. Yeah. It just reminding you that these are real people and, oh shit, like I hope they back out at some point or do, <laughs> you know, don't go through with it or it makes it, I don't know, it gave me an extra kind of, um, it was easier to empathize, I guess, with the whole situation. I don't mean with yeah. the guys doing the highest necessarily, although <laughs> I did at times, but just the whole, I guess just... <sighs> I just wanted them to, everything to be okay. And yeah. it just added to the tension of the thing, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. So before we get too stuck in, mm. I've got a very, very, very short synopsis from Letterboxd. Okay, we like short synopsises. We do. So, Lexington, Kentucky, 2004. Four young men attempt to execute one of the most audacious art heists in the history of the United States. Mm, okay. I didn't really know what to expect. I remember watching the trailer, probably a good six months before the film came out, and the, the, instantly the trailer sold me. It's become really commonplace since, but it's one of the first trailers I remember seeing that really utilised sound in the editing. If Does that make sense? They use sound to punctuate a scene or a yeah, cut or well, um, the music. So the best kind of example I can come up with is like Baby Driver, for example, yeah. where the editing is done in time with the music. I see. It's yeah. on the beat. And they did a similar thing in this trailer. And it, like I say, it became, it became really commonplace. You're right. Yeah. I do remember seeing a lot of Marvel stuff, actually. Yeah. It's maybe, say, like 2020 onwards. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them would do that. You're right. This seemed like the first kind of one that popularized that technique yeah but i don't know something about the trailer really grabbed me and i was really excited to watch this yeah and then when i sat down to watch it and the first time it cuts to the actual people the interviews the talking heads i was so thrown because none of that is in the trailer it's kind of a bit of a bait and switch but in the best possible way i'm really grateful that i didn't know that going in Mm. So if you haven't adhered to our spoiler warning thus far, I'm really sorry. <laughs> did we, we didn't give a spoiler warning, did we? We do in the intro. Oh, yeah, true. True, we do. We do. <laughs> but yeah, so I, that kind of threw me a little bit. But like I say, in the best possible way. Mm. Did, did you know about the insertion of the, the interviews prior to watching? No, I don't think I had a clue what this movie was about at all. Yeah, because it happens like they, they insert the talking heads pretty quickly. Yeah, very. Yes, it's like first five, ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah, because the the opening scene is well, not the opening, the very opening scene. You see that they're putting the old man makeup on, which we'll get oh, to. Yeah. But then after that, it cuts to um, Spencer, and mm-hmm. it's him being interviewed by the board, I guess, of the college that he's going to attend. It was a good way to introduce that character because it, it it showed you someone being interviewed. So when it cut to the real Spencer yeah. after that, shortly. It was just kind of, it was a way to keep that consistency, I found. Like it didn't just beat you over the head straight away with this is a person mm. talking at you. Because they sort of shot like that in a semi, because it's an interview. So it was that kind of 
style. I enjoyed that. But yeah. it was the kind of questions they were asking him were about himself. So it was also like revealing about his character because he, he couldn't answer those questions. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I hadn't thought of that, actually. That was a really clever way of introducing that angle. Mm. Yeah, I thought so. And it, did, it didn't occur to me until today, actually. I just put the first 15, 20 minutes on just to remind myself of how the movie starts because the highest I've seen a couple of times now and I'm super mm-hmm. familiar with that. But yeah, and it occurred to me when I was watching, like, this is a really good opening actually and it really eases you into the style like this is what we're doing here. Yeah, because it could have been exceptionally jarring. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's curious to me that the director has kind of one foot in the world of fiction and one foot in the world of documentaries because mm. that's not often the case. Mm. It tends to be that you are, you know, you are a documentary filmmaker and that's it. And you stay in that lane forever. Yeah, that does tend to be the case, doesn't it? I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, to be honest. Like with documentaries and stuff, I don't pay as much attention to the filmmakers as I do with completely fictional stories. I don't know why that is. I mean, there's the really famous ones like uh, Nick Broomfield, for example. I don't think he's ever made a feature film that's Mm. fiction. Werner Herzog is an exception. He's done both. But it, it does tend to be that they pick a lane. So I'm really interested to know what made him choose both in this instance, because I, I can't remember having seen this technique before. No, and but you do have documentaries where they have little pieces. Yeah, of like reenactments. Tra- yeah, reenactments, yes. Yeah. Short dramatizations. Like mm-hmm. this is this was me walking towards the car. But it's very small and it's, it doesn't really mean anything. But you're right. Yeah. I, I don't recall seeing it done to this detail where they're weaving in and out of the the actors playing the characters and the real life people who the, the actors are portraying and interviewing them in that way. Yeah. I, I don't, like, cause it's, it's a proper like feature yeah. but then mixed with real life footage. And it, I guess it, but that never undercuts the tension or the dramatization. No. It's, it's really seamless. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not quite sure entirely how they pulled it off. I guess the closest comparison and it's, it's on my mind because we saw it recently would be reality, but mm. that was kind of a dramatization taken from transcripts. Yeah. That I think kind of like we saw some of the transcripts on scene, it cut away. And I think there was kind of voiceover from the actual police recordings. Yeah. So similar, but not quite the same. That's the closest comparison that that I can think of since you've just mentioned yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good one, that yeah. But nowhere near as good as this. Well, nowhere near as engaging, should I say. Yeah, I feel like that one was an interesting experiment. Yeah. And it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But this one is entertaining in a way that a feature should be, but also (laughs) telling you about this ridiculous, ridiculous thing that these these four young boys did. And these ridiculous humans. Like, I feel like we have to start at the beginning. So, Warren Lipka. (laughs) Yeah. What is your perception of this odd man? Um, I mean, he's kind of amusing, but he's the sort of person that you could only, like, after an hour at the pub with him, just make your excuses and you, you go and you... Before, <laughs> Bit of a live wire. Before you get into too much trouble. Yeah, you think, yeah. like, the first three pints is going to be okay, but when the shots start coming out, maybe you leave and let him get into as much trouble as he wants. Yeah. It's funny because I can't think of better casting than Evan Peters. Yeah, it really works. Yeah. Because but, he's he's kind of a bell end the character. Oh isn't yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, they introduce that element very, very quickly. I think yeah. one of the first times you see the real Warren is he's pointing at the tattoo on his arm and it's this really crude, naive prison style tattoo <laughs> of a T Rex trying to reach a, a pull cord on a lamp. <laughs> and if that isn't like the best descriptor for his entire persona, I don't yeah. know what is. Yeah. 
And I love the painstaking way that they gave, they replicated that on Evan Peters as right. well. <laughs> well spotted. No, he does a super good job because you're like as I was saying, he's a massive bellend. This this character, this guy. He's a total clown. But um, but Evan Peters is is charismatic enough, and he gives you kind of a grey area performance. Like yeah, he, you're not. He's not going overboard with it. You can still root for the characters that he plays in a way because he humanizes them. I don't quite know how he does that, but because mm. everything I'm seeing in the film, all of his actions, uh, you idiot, you're you're yeah. robbing meat from somebody who probably needs to sell that meat to feed their family. You're doing this heist, this book heist. You seem to be the ringleader, mm-hmm. although there are different perspectives yeah. on, on how, how it actually went down, which is something that they weaved into the film as well. I really enjoyed the whole, um, I don't know, I guess it's as close to an unreliable narrator trope yeah. as you can get. Just the different recollections and how they chose to portray those on screen was really fun. Yeah. Really yeah. fun. And could have been really cloying, could have been just really grating, but they kind of nailed that. But yeah, it, Warren's a strange one because everything that you've said is true. Absolute clown of a human, costume of a man. <laughs> yeah. But there's something about him. Like he shows contrition. He's the only one during the interviews that shows any real emotion, I feel, when they're talking about the librarian, Mm. Betty Jean. And he actually does start crying. So he shows remorse. He shows guilt. He's not dead inside. He's not this unfeeling monster or a narcissist or a sociopath or anything. I think he's just, I don't know, he just seems like an unpredictable person who thought he was doing something that would get him in the history books or like it it felt genuine but considering he kind of he ropes his friends into this really harebrained scheme that could never in a million years be pulled off Mm. not by these people anyway he's still not unlikable and i think that is down to what you've said it's not it's not just evan peter's performance because it's true of the the actual warren lipker as well there's something likable about him yeah and I think it's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm misreading him, but a genuineness. Like I felt like he thought it was more mischief than actual crime. Who knows? I mean, there were young boys. They, they yeah. wanted to do something extraordinary, as you've, you've said earlier. And I think it was just one of those things that just kind of spiraled just spiraled and they just i don't know how because they spent like nine months planning this did thing. they was it as long as that yeah i, I know they so. kind of they were they were changing of the seasons during yeah. the film to indicate passage of time but i didn't realize it was as long as that yeah well they the, the heist took place in december of 04 but they were planning it as early as march 04 and possibly even slightly before that but um, you would think at some point, and the, the Spencer character says, I was waiting for something unsurmountable to happen, mm. some kind of thing that we couldn't get past that would stop us, but they never really stumbled across that. Although they would have if they'd have not <laughs> yeah. ignored the red flags that they were getting <laughs> along the way. The multitude of red flags. Yeah, which, I mean, they were simultaneously very clever about things, but also very stupid about things. They, they, I mean, they didn't nail everything, but they did. They quite thought, a lot right. Yeah, they thought of most things, but they were naive in the way that only teenagers can be. Mm. Were they teenagers at the time? I'm assuming uh, if they yeah, were college age. I guess aged. so. Yeah, not 19 maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you definitely don't have your shit together at that age. No, no, you don't. <laughs> you do some silly things, but you would think that you'd talk yourself out of it after, I don't know, a day and a half. Like, yeah, like, nine to, months to plan it for nine be... months is, is insane. <laughs> and you, it's just one of those... 
one of those conversations you have with your mates, you're drunk. Oh, it'd be funny if we did this thing. Yeah. But you like you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, that was a fun conversation, wasn't it? But they decided to continue it and keep it going and then rope their friends into it. The other two the other two guys who came on board later. Well, on behalf of those people, I would just like to say when you have drunken conversations with your friends and plan things. I just want to pipe up and say some people take those plans seriously and mm. go and get tattoos with their friends' names on. Who would do a thing like I that? I have no idea. <laughs> and then show their friend and demand that their friend follow through on their part of the agreement. Who would do that? <laughs> don't know, but I've still got it to this day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think... Have you ever stolen anything? I will neither confirm <laughs> nor deny that. <laughs> Nothing truly valuable. Okay. I will say that. All right. <laughs> you can't prove a thing. No, I guess it was just like a big game of chicken, wasn't it? They were all... Yeah, well, it's a game. I, I feel like all four of them were probably waiting for somebody else to go, nah. But none of them did. Yeah. So it happened. <laughs> it just happened, yeah. I don't know. They clearly wanted it to happen. They, they, yeah, they, there was a part of them, they, for sure. They abandoned one attempt. Mm. Oh, it, yeah. So they tried it again. You would think... Even at that point, they're like, <laughs> we're in a costume now, in the old man costume, which I think was a pretty clever idea, but didn't really work. <laughs> you would think even at that point, their, their hearts are racing and, yeah. and everything. You think, oh, this what am I doing? This is this is insane what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm wearing my granddad's coat and no. a false beard and some grey eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> you just take a look at your life at that point, wouldn't you? And just question everything that you've done up to that point. I don't know. I think you're underestimating the draw of uh, Warren Lipka's chaotic neutral energy. Yeah. And he, he loved Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. He wanted to be George Clooney. Well, didn't they use one of the same tracks? Yes. From the, Ocean's that, Eleven. A um, little less conversation, a little more yeah. action, whatever that song's called. So that was clearly a nod. Like, yeah. they, it, it wore its influences on its sleeve. Yes, it did. And they did like, they did enjoy those movies. I believe when the heist was happening, the first one had come out. Okay. So they'd seen that a lot. But they actually, <laughs> post-heist, they went to a screening of Ocean's 12, I believe it was. Yeah. And they were just chatting about mm. how, you know, it was similar to their situation. And it okay. turned out that there were some FBI agents behind them. <laughs> they were listening to their conversation. No. Yeah. And that was, they, <gasps> they were suspected at the time. It wasn't just like a random thing, but they were being followed and they were obviously making references to them having pulled off a heist and oh successful at it. Oh my God. Semi-successful. Oh, well, they would definitely put a pin in this <laughs> because you know far more about the, the real events than I do. I'm really curious to see what made it to screen and what didn't. Okay. So put a pin in that. Pin in it. Okay. Consider it pinned. I want to go back quickly to the stylistic choices. I can't think of any other examples, but I feel like I've seen that unreliable narrator trope where two characters are recalling the same story and the events on screen keep changing yeah. in line with what each one is saying, like the discrepancies in the interviews. And I just thought it was really neat the way they did that. Yeah, it worked. But it's also kind of a bit of a trope in, in heist movies as well, where not necessarily where people are misremembering events, yeah, but they're exploring different avenues of things that can happen as well so that's it, true it yeah. is kind of fitting within the genre that the film is as well so. that's a really good point that's mm. a really good point thank you um, <laughs> should we end now no i made a good point don't get teased i'm allowed that. one good point per episode <laughs> well you've apparently. had it now that's it that's it just yeah. idiocy okay. from here on out oh, fuck it i'm gonna cut it out <laughs> did you notice going 
back to movies and influences. When they started planning the heist, they rented a bunch of movies yes, to draw their inspiration I from. Did and yeah. one of them was Thief. In our last episode, we covered Thief. So yeah, that was that was handy for us. Yeah. What else was on there? Did you write any others? I down? didn't. No, I was just excited when I saw Thief. I want to say I saw The Driver. Oh, maybe the Walter Hill. Yeah. One. Okay. Definitely Ocean's Eleven, or yeah. that was at least referenced later yeah. on in the movie, as we've said already. I mean, that's what I would do. I'd watch a bunch of heist films if I was planning a heist. Would you? Yeah. Well, it's on record now. Mm. I'm not going to plan a heist. <laughs> you, you understand? Okay. Like I, I wouldn't. Rec- if I was going to plan a heist, I wouldn't let anyone know that I was planning a heist, and I wouldn't record any information about me having planned a heist and keep it. For I feel like to find. I feel like you're just saying all this now to cover your back. It's, mm. This is like a double bluff. No? Oh, they'll never, they'll never suspect me because I just said I would never do it. Yeah, I said I was innocent. I yeah. put my hand on that really old book and my other hand in the air and I said, I promise I'm going to tell. Do we no do lies. that in this country or is that an American thing? I don't know. I've never been to court. I have. Did you, did you have to touch the book? I don't remember doing. No. Maybe I did. I had to swear to tell the truth. Yeah, I promise I'm definitely going to tell you the truth. <laughs> Cross my heart. Yeah, it always baffles me that does. Like, why are we doing this? Like if someone wants to lie, they're going to lie. They yeah. don't give a shit if about If they're going to lie <laughs> on the stand, they're going to lie when you ask them if they're going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be it's limited fl- to everything beyond that question. There's a, there's a major flaw in that. <laughs> yeah. We're just wasting everyone's time here. <laughs> did you notice? No, um, I did cer- not notice. I did not. I did not. Did you notice at certain points oh, hi, throughout the... Um, that certain scenes were inverted. Does it inverted mean backwards? Yeah, some of the scenes were flipped. Oh, yes, like I know. Some logos what you mean. Yeah, yeah. were back to front, yep. like mirrored, yep. basically. Yep. Some of the opening scenes were kind of upside down and stuff. Apparently, Bart Layton did that all quite intentionally mm. to kind of mimic things like Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream as a means to unsettle the viewer, but in a very, very, very subtle way. Mm. Because obviously what you're seeing is very familiar to you, but it's just something's a little bit off. Yeah. So it's quite a clever way of almost like pulling the rug out from under you and making you feel nervous without necessarily knowing why. I quite like that. Yeah, I, I see that in, in films. The, the, the most recent thing I, I think I remember seeing that in was Midsummer when they're approaching the commune. The uh, opening credits of the Candyman reboot. Yeah. They did that um, too. I think in this movie, for me, it made me feel like I was seeing the world perhaps through the main boy's eyes in that maybe you're seeing something that's kind of familiar, but through a slightly different lens, like the world that they're seeing is wrong, like it's upside down. Like I can see these things and I know what they are, but what is it? Why is it? You know, what's, I feel a bit weird here. That's kind of, that was my, how it made me feel. That was my interpretation of that scene. But yeah, Yeah. it it was unsettling too. I mean, the film, the characters and the characters' actions are all fairly chaotic. So all of these techniques, I think, mm. worked. They fit so well. Mm. And there's a bunch of other really interesting techniques as well. Like some of the some of the stuff is in black and white periodically. But I think that's kind of after they've been watching a black and white crime movie to get tips from. Right. Um, some split, split screen stuff, uh, miniatures at one point. And it's just all of it kind of adds up to being just a bit unsettling Mm. like i said it sort of it itches the back of your brain and you can't reach it if that makes any sense okay it just doesn't sit quite right but i've never seen it done quite like this and there are so many different techniques utilized that it could have quite easily tipped into being obnoxious Mm. but it never got there it was all despite all of the different stuff that was on display it still kind of felt restrained obviously 
you mentioned the cast at the start. We've talked about the four main guys. Mm. How did you feel about Anne Dowd and Udo Kier's characters? Well, Udo Kier wasn't in it very much. No, he sort of popped up and I was like, oh, hello, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I like seeing you in movies. And then he was gone just like that. Poof, yeah. he was gone. Um, Anne Dowd, I'm not familiar with Anne Dowd. I'm sure I've seen stuff with her in it. She was, uh, you've seen Hereditary, right? She was in Hereditary? Yes. We need to rewatch that She was that in Hereditary. Soon. I'm sh- yeah, I don't really remember that movie outside of that one scene, and we all know what. Scene yeah, we're that about. scene. <laughs> um, yeah, I do need to rewatch that. Actually, let's put that on the pile. Okay. <laughs> so Anne Dowd, yeah, she was really good in this. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Betty Jean Gooch also seems like a really cool person as well. So I thought so. Like the, initially, when you meet her, she seems almost a bit snooty, like a bit stuck up, maybe. Oh, all right. That was the vibe I got anyway, yeah. but she seemed to really give a shit about her job. Mm. Like she seemed to care deeply about the welfare and the upkeep of these books and making sure that they're accessible to people who are truly interested in Mm. them and, you know, keeping them safe and everything. And then her trust and her goodwill gets hugely violated. Mm. And just to kind of skip to the end to talk about the interviews, we don't see the real Betty Jean Gooch until the end. And I guess that's because we're not supposed to know what her fate was. Like maybe things could have gone truly tits up and Mm. she didn't make it or something but i really appreciate the fact that of all the interviews she's the one that gets the last word well it it could be a little bit of logistics actually in there as well not to um, piss on your strawberries (laughs) but i think what i heard about betty jean gooch is she went through this really traumatic experience during this heist oh it must have been she was she was scarred by it and she actually cites having watched the film as a huge part of her it led to her forgiving the four boys and it just really helped her process and heal and get their side of things so i guess maybe in like her watching the film is removing her imagination and and or not removing her memory of it because you can't do that but help her to overcome her experience i guess because she was seeing that the boys weren't intentionally trying to harm anyone and they well, were just stupid boys i think and that's I think, it though I isn't there that may, i think that maybe her watching that film she at the end was quite happy to do a piece maybe for the end of the film i don't know that makes me really happy mm. for her anyway yeah, that it was like it's... a healing process at least but i guess if, based on what we see in the media we are led to believe that people who pull off heists are hardened criminals absolute Mm. arseholes or you know they're doing it for a means to an end or whatever not just a bunch of fucking idiot kids who think it'll be cool no so i guess she she would naturally have gone to the worst case scenario in her mind that her experience of it is that she was you know not brutalized as such but in this unthinkable terrifying situation she didn't know their motivations Anything could have happened in her yeah. mind. Yeah, you would fear for your life, absolutely. absolutely yeah. So that I'm glad she got something out of it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it took a long time for yeah. her to process that stuff. And you you never truly get over something like that, I imagine. No, probably not. But um, yeah, it's just another example of severe lack of judgment by the, the kids. I would say lack of foresight as well, but not if they spent nine fucking months planning the damn thing. Yeah. Well, like we, like I said earlier, you know, you talk yourself out, out of these things. So, I mean, I, I can talk about this now because I got arrested and charged. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that bad. But when I was a kid, you do silly things. And yeah. I, it was a car parked on the road and I decided to just whip out the radio 
like a complete idiot, right? I never do that now, obviously, but I was 15 years old, probably had a couple of beers and there just happened to be a police car driving past as I was doing it. So <laughs> oh, it occurred to me in the moment, <laughs> it happened. But like, if I'd had that thought yeah, and then had to like travel to, to, to wherever to get this thing, then I would have been like, no, I'm going to talk myself out of this. Well, yeah, this is it. I understand acting on an intrusive thought way more than I do yeah. spending the best part of a year planning this thing. Because like nine months is such a long time at that age. It's a long time. And that's that's part of like, if it, if it was more... Uh, a, a more of a spontaneous thing I think I would have more sympathy for, for them yeah. but they had every opportunity to, oh, <laughs> to just stop this plan in its tracks and Idiots. they didn't do it so although I kind of feel bad for them that they had to be incarcerated for seven years you know they did deserve it they did put someone through a really traumatic experience yeah and they're unlikely to do it again so hopefully the judicial system did its job and yeah. deterred them from further crime hopefully so yeah jesus christ um but just to make sure you're not worried i did only get a five-year caution for that <laughs> i didn't do any prison time lies he's still wearing the ankle bracelet <laughs> I <did. laughs> now i can see it <laughs> i did about six hours in the hour cell in the cell which was not the nicest place to be. No, but, I can you know. imagine. Not as a 15-year-old, no. especially. Apparently, the, the police phoned my mum and, and told them they had me. And uh, they were free to come down and collect me and I would get interviewed and stuff. But my mum decided that she would leave me in there for as long as possible. <laughs> just to teach me a lesson. That'll learn you, she said. <laughs> I like your mum. Yeah. I never did it again. <laughs> well, it worked then, didn't it? Scared the fuck out of me. I was just like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. Why did I do this? And they were like, but it's a really old radio. What were you going to do with this old thing? You know, it's not even worth a quid, you know? And I was like, I don't know. It's just, it was there, wasn't it? You're a moron and it was an effective punishment from the sounds of things. I was a stupid idiot that yeah. acted spontaneously. <laughs> I was not planning this for nine months. <laughs> if you'd been planning to steal a shitty car radio for nine months, I would say you've got bigger problems yeah. than criminal impulses. True. <laughs> So this takes place at Transylvania. Yeah. Trans well, Transylvania Not College. That Not that one. So as a horror fan, I'm always kind of excited. I was so disappointed to learn that Transylvania is just the Latin word for beyond the trees. Is it? Yeah. I thought it would be like the Latin word for dark castle. For vampires. Scary, scary time, sucky blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Obviously it has uh, strong ties to like the horror genre, for example, mm. which is why I got excited, but no, just be on the trees. Yeah. So I did read that um, the director obviously had been in contact with the real life criminals. I, I don't even want to call them criminals. The real life guys for a while. I don't know how the film came about. I don't know how the structure came about, but he intentionally said that he didn't want any of the actors to meet their counterparts, mm. the real life counterparts, because he found the real life people to be so sympathetic when telling their story that he feared the actors would portray them too differently. He didn't right. want them to sympathize with them. Yeah. He just wanted a truthful retelling. Yeah. Just like leaving room for creativity, I guess as well. And yeah, their own yeah. interpretations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I would like to know more about the real life heist. So that's where you come in. All right. So the, the film is pretty accurate to what, what, what happened. There doesn't seem like there was, much embellishment at all okay it was a pretty accurate retelling of what i read the real story to be even down to because there's some conjecture towards the end of the film as to whether warren actually went to europe like he said he did and yeah met with these the what do they call them the fences or whatever 
the guys who were going to fence the 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 stolen items. Do we know what was true? Because the real life guys were kind of cagey towards the end when they said like Spencer said he didn't know if Warren even did any any of that. Warren kind of gave a bit of a sheepish shrug. So I'm really curious to know what of that was true. We don't know. We'll never it's know. It's pretty much like the film. Right. Yeah, but we just okay. it's we've got to take his word for it. There's no so. further insight into that because he says that he faked a passport. In 2004? Yeah, apparently post so. Post 9-11, well, he so, got through on a fake passport. I'm going to call bullshit on that. So something that wasn't in the film, okay. but was hinted at, was the relationship between Warren and Eric. And they had had a fake ID business together. Okay. Is Eric the guy with the glasses? Yes. Yeah. So they were going to school together and they had had a fake ID business. So I think that Warren got the details for the guy they met in New York and then ultimately the guy right. that they met, supposedly he met in Amsterdam. Okay. So everything is is his word and there's no way to prove it because as I say, he went back to his criminal mates and it's like, I need a passport to get over to Amsterdam. Two and a half grand later, he's on the plane. So he says, but there's no way to prove it. So he's going to take those secrets to the grave, is he? I guess so. You did mention that there was that incident where they went to the cinema to see Ocean's 12. Mm. And the FBI were behind them. Yes. We don't see that in the film. No. Based on that, mm. what else didn't make it into the film? Post heist, mm -hmm. when Chaz is driving a grey minivan out and it's got the three of them in the van. Yeah. He improvised to let them out. That wasn't part of the plan. He said, you guys get out. That actually happened. Okay. Happened in the film, happened in real life, supposedly. And they were in this neighbourhood. Now, what they didn't show in the film is apparently they got chased by some thugs okay this is what they say yeah <laughs> and they'd had these expensive books on them yeah but they were so scared that they were trying to flag down some police officers <gasps> while they were trying to escape these thugs oh my god so it could have gone down very differently but eventually eventually Chaz came back and picked them up this really is an insane story isn't it it really is yeah and, and it could have gone any direction at any point yeah as well it's fascinating the butterfly effect possibilities here are yeah quite something uh, and they sort of wrapped up the end quite quickly as well whereas there was a yeah. bit more it took two months about for them to be caught from carrying out the heist to having been caught oh wow okay They're, so they used the name walter beckman at the library yeah to book the appointment with oh. betty jean gooch so what, so was the stuff when they took the books that they did have to the auction house was that something that they actually did Yes. Oh, idiots. Oh, my God. And is that where they use the name Beckman again? Yes. So they, Fuck. They, they, the problem is that they set up a Yahoo account in the name Walter Beckman. Right. And they used that to, I think, book. Well, they used the name certainly with the library, but they mm -hmm. also used that email address to book the appointment with Christie's, oh the most popular auction house in the, <laughs> in the world, maybe. Yeah. So, and apparently... When they went to the auction house, the, the person there was just like, these guys are clowns. I, I don't know what's going on here. They're trying to dress smart, but they're obviously not very wealthy. And they're wearing trainers with these suits <sighs> and stuff like that. But because they'd used the same name, Yahoo eventually released information to the police uh, on their servers regarding their email. And they were able to see their emails. They'd seen that they'd booked an appointment at Christie's. They went to Christie's. <laughs> and in their infinite wisdom, Spencer had given Christie's his mobile telephone number. Oh, so that was real. So the police simply <gasps> phoned the telephone. Oh, my God. Hi, this is Spence. Please leave <gasps> a message. And also the phone was in his dad's name. So they got caught. Yeah, they got caught. It was a silly mistake in the end, really. But and then I think they were suspected at that point. The police had a name. They Googled the name. 
their picture of Spencer and Warren playing oh soccer God. on Google. They oh, started wow. gathering their intel. They went to the Ocean's Eleven screening, which we spoke about and heard them talking about the highest they've got and banged <laughs> to rights here. A couple of days later, they raided their apartments. And just, uh, I guess, the cherry on top as well is that they also had all of the stuff all of their plans from the heist, the little models. Holy and, shit. Like a, like, like a heist plan written <gasps> down and they had a, an accounting ledger for expenses. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's insane. That's what I mean. Like they were very smart in some ways, but then so stupid in others, particularly. The paper trail. Particularly when after they realised that they had given their their own number at Christie's, they kind of knew that the game was up then. They could have done something, some kind of damage limitation. Certainly, I don't know, you would get rid of the evidence pointing it to to you, right? But yeah, the police, the the description at Christie's matched their description. They've They've got everything they need. And they went to court, they pled guilty, because what other choice is there? But the interesting thing is that they all, each had an opportunity to to rat out the other ones and none of them took it. They all stood Aww. by each other and went, nah, you know what, we all did this crime. We're all going to serve time, but if we em- embellish or, or or say someone was a bit worse than me... Yeah, then or minimise their own role. Their own, yeah, minimise, also minimise their time, but yeah. increase someone else's and they didn't, they didn't want to do that. Oh. Yeah. See, they... Do you see what I mean when I kind of like them? <laughs> yeah. They, they're not... They were just some dumb kids that made a stupid mistake that yeah. they should have realised, but ultimately they were caught. They served their time. I mean, they des- they definitely deserve to serve time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. If, if not for... If it was for a victimless crime, if there was BJ no D Gooch. there, then I would have more sympathy yeah. for them. But the fact that they traumatised this woman for the rest of her life, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's the point in which you go, this is, this is not cool. I'm not saying that I agree with stealing expensive... Artwork, although I do come from a country that that was their major pastime for a long time. We do have quite a storied history in terms yeah. of stealing artifacts. Yeah. And no, it's ours now because it lives here. It's in the British Museum. But we you want, can't have it back. We would like people to see this artwork. So we put it here in a box in the basement for everybody to see. Give it back, you thieving shits. <laughs> give, every, give it all back. Yeah, I agree. I do want to talk about, before we start wrapping up, I really, Mm. really want to talk about the heist itself. I cannot remember the last time my butt cheeks were glued so firmly together. Pretty tense. This is the most stressful watch Mm. in recent memory. Yeah. And I've seen this film like three or four times now, so I knew what was coming. But the, the sound design, the score, the editing, the acting... Everything stacks up just to make it the most nail-biting series of events. Yeah. Especially when things start going wrong and they try to think... Like, they they were really good at planning, terrible at thinking on their feet. Yeah. No improvisational skills yeah. whatsoever. And it made me feel nauseous. I was so stressed. Well, Warren didn't really stick to the plan either, did he? Because he was meant to have well, stunned Betty Jean before yeah. Eric got there. That didn't happen. Well, they, I'm guessing they grossly he... misunderstood the the weight of the books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh um, man! But it was a, yeah, it was a, like a, some of the most tense 15 minutes of, of film that I, I've seen. A lot of it, sound design, as you mentioned, was like, like that ticking kind of clock and yeah, beating yeah. heart, or however you want to interpret it. It really helped with that, and it was super super well acted as well. You could see 
Eric just wanted to just get out of there, but Warren wouldn't let him. He was mm. like, no, come on, we're, we're doing this. I don't think I've seen that guy in anything else, but he mm. was great. I really... thought he was a Jonas brother. No, he's not a Jonas. Unless there's a fourth one that I don't know about. How is it? Yeah, so just like two Jonas brothers. I thought there were three. There's a, tr- there's a trio of Jonas <laughs> <Yeah>. brothers. Okay. And that's <laughs> a not trifecta one. of Joni. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jonas brothers wouldn't be in a heist movie, would they? Uh, I, I don't know. Don't pigeonhole them down. <laughs> don't you know. don't know what they're capable of. <laughs> true, true. Obviously, yeah. Bar- Barry Keoghan, everyone's favourite weird little dude. Yeah, he's great. This was probably the first thing I think I saw him in. Would have been for me. Yeah. Certainly. I've seen him crop up in a lot since. Obviously, Banshees mm. of Inisherin, Killing of a Sacred Deer we watched recently. Yeah. Um, he crops up a lot. Yeah. And he's great in everything. Yeah. Calm with Horses is another good one that he's in. Eternals. Um, oh, Eter- yeah. I didn't care for Eternals, but mm. he was one of the bright spots. Him mm. and Lauren Ridloff had excellent chemistry. Oh, I quite liked that movie. They were the only two characters that I felt really invested in. Yeah. And Kumail was good too. But um, Barry Keoghan wasn't part of the heist, was he? Because he was, he Spencer purposely didn't go in for the heist bit because, well, that's where he went to college. Everybody yeah. knew who he was. He knew <laughs> like, the finger would be pointing hmm, squarely at him. maybe not, uh, yeah. Because oh, yeah, so, he was on the roof, He was he? on the roof yeah. scoping things out. But mm. um, Eric and Warren were doing the main heist bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, pretty much played out as per the film. Yeah, but super, super tense. And it, mm. like even when they left the room and they're carrying the books down the elevator and they get out on a real floor, that all happened. And then obviously they couldn't find the exit, so they ended up dropping the books. Well, they actually stopped for a rest because they're oh lesson. <laughs> the books are really heavy, so they stopped for a rest. And then, they hadn't planned on cardio. <laughs> yeah. And then um, one of the people that worked there, Susan Brown, I think her name was, so spotted them in the stairwell and started chasing oh, them out. Okay. Hey, boys, stop. Um, but yeah, she she actually only only saw three, or I was aware of only three of the boys because, as we said, Spencer was on the yeah. roof. But she kind of, in a weird way, said four, and I don't know why. Women's she, intuition, yeah, never maybe, doubt it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> never she fails. Only believed in even numbers, <laughs> or who knows? But yeah, so they were looking automatically after she said that, looking for four people instead right. of three. But okay. she was only aware of three, so that was you know, they, they were always getting caught, so. idiots yeah i don't know that's it's one of my favorite scenes like the heist in isolation is one of my favorite scenes of like the past decade maybe yeah it's a really good heist scene as well like particularly because how everything leading up to it the the first attempt all Mm. of their planning we're getting to know these guys so when we're there it really does feel like you you want them to either get away with it and nobody get hurt Mm -hmm. or get caught or back out, preferably yeah, back out back would out be the would one be that the I ideal. want them to do. <laughs> but maybe wouldn't be lead to such an interesting yeah. film. It's just a, it's just an hour and 45 minutes of me going, oh no, lads, really? <laughs> <sighs> I don't think this is such a good idea. No, come on. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's interesting that Spencer was quite vocal about wanting to not be present during the actual heist. Because I think to, I don't know, I feel like maybe he did minimise his own role in it to some degree during the talking heads because from what I've read he did become truly obsessed by these books mm. and I think it was only because of that that Warren even cooked up this idea to begin with so yeah I think maybe he needed to perhaps accept a larger portion of the brain the blame than he seemed willing to during the interviews yeah 
Well, they all did it, you know. They all, yeah. Someone could have been a ringleader, but that doesn't mean that you have to go along with what the ringleader is saying. No. You have to question these things. If someone's asking you to do a heist, consider not doing it is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Don't consider the heist at Give all. Give it some thought. Yeah. <laughs> but then no should be your answer. Yeah. But think about it. <laughs> yeah. Think about it first. It's, it's, in, it's, it's important, I think, to play out different scenarios in your head. <laughs> Because then you can play out the scenario where you get caught immediately and go to prison. Yeah, and then go, oh, yeah, I won't do that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That would be my version. It's important to know why things are wrong as well. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's how you learn and how you grow. But they they all seem to have been quite remorseful. I was just going to say, it does seem like they learned their lesson at the very least. They've done their time. It's kind of a weirdly happy ending in a way. They served their time. Betty Jean Gooch has gotten over as much as you can, something like that. And everything seems to have worked out okay. They were pretty young when they got out. Yeah. They've all got their own careers now. Uh, Spencer is painting. Warren is an electrician and writer. And um, Eric wrote... Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. (laughs) (laughs) Eric is uh, a writer. He wrote the book, American Animals. Oh, yeah. And um, the other guy, (laughs) Mr. Pink. The... um (laughs) The rich one. Yeah, Mr. Pink, Chaz, who was is, is kind of, you've got the main three and you've got him who's kind of out on his own. Yeah, he was a bit of an outlier. He did. He seemed like a bit of a douche. He did try to distance himself a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He seemed like he was just super opportunistic. He came on at the last minute and they were just like, we need a driver. Oh, we know him. Let's get him. Yeah. He likes money. <laughs> he wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. To that I say, it's easy to be an entrepreneur when your daddy's already rich. True. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed he got seven years actually. Rich, yeah. Rich people don't generally. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think really highly of this movie. I don't have a great deal more to say about it. I will say one of my other favorite scenes is probably the Reservoir Dogs conversation. Yeah. Because the the way that's interspersed with the talking heads is genuinely really hilarious. It's really funny. It's done really well. Yeah. And I think it's just after that that there's that really kind of quite severe tonal shift. Because the first half is actually quite jovial quite funny and then the second half is just like nail biting tension sweat dripping down your face yeah they balance the the tonal shifts seamlessly yeah you you need that particularly when you've got scenes that are incredibly tense Mm. you would need that comedy as well in there to relieve some of the tension but then also allow you to cleanse your palate and then build yourself back up again yeah yeah you need those bits and it was without that that's probably, the, I think, the funniest bit in it, isn't it? Because he's Warren's going through all the names he gave people and he says, I gave Chaz Mr. Pink just to fuck with him. And <laughs> yeah. it cuts to Chaz and he goes, I didn't want to be Mr. Pink. <laughs> yeah, it's really well yeah, done. It is, it is really well done. It's very funny. Yeah, good movie. Really good movie. Yeah, really, highly recommend. Really well made. And I'm very interested to see what Bart Layton does next. Mm, yeah, me too. And if you haven't seen The Imposter, that's another hard recommend from me. Mm, okay. What are we going to do next week? Australian animals. Australian animals. That's right. (laughs) Also known as... Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I might insist that we watch at least the pilot episode of the TV adaptation as well for comparison purposes. Have you seen the television program? Some of it. Okay. I didn't care for it. Oh, I cannot wait to watch it. Until next week. (laughs) We can guarantee that the movie's good because we have both seen it. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. 
everything will be linked in the description.